You're listening to a podcast from Reality Honolulu. For more information or ways to get involved in the life of the church, visit realityhonolulu.com. Thanks for listening. We are in the book of James. We are spending the fall up till Christmas time in the letter written by the half-brother of Jesus, um, James. And he's penning this letter. This letter was originally written to the church, these Jewish believers that were in Jerusalem, but because of persecution are scattered now into North Africa, the Middle East, into Europe. And so James is writing this letter to the church that's scattered abroad. And um, the last few weeks, we've gotten into it. James is very straightforward. He's honest. His letter moves fast. And once again, today, we have a text um, that James just gets to the heart of the matter of things. And so um, why don't you read with me James 1, 9 through 11, and then we will uh, go ahead and pray. James 1, 9 through 11 says, Believers who are poor have something to boast about, for God has honored them. And those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The little flower droops and falls and its beauty fades away. In the same way, the rich will fade away with all of their achievements. If you're rich in this room, don't be scared and don't leave. We're going to get in together and learn what this means. And uh, let's pray. God, thank you that we have your word, that we as your creation, as human beings, are not left to our own devices, we're not left wandering and wondering what it is that we're supposed to do, and what is your will for us, and we have your word, you've preserved it for us, and even today when we're talking about money and finances and wealth, and it all comes down to our heart posture. It all comes down to what is the root of this subject and what is our relationship to these earthly things. And if anything, Lord, we we just want you to be exalted and you to be most valuable and more treasured than anything this world has to offer. And so we want to be open, even when it comes to maybe topics that we're uncomfortable with or that don't get talked about much or whatever it may be. We just ask that you would speak to us, that you would... Show us where we need to be encouraged or comforted or corrected or change course. But you just love us. You love us a lot, Lord, more than we can even imagine. And we know as a good, good father that you just want to speak to your kids today. And so we want to receive in, in a way that, uh, that comes from a, a loving place. Thank you, Lord. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so again... Just to be reminded of context because it's important. Verse 9 here. Who are these that James is speaking to or about? Well, the context demands that we understand them as this poverty-stricken Jewish Christians who were poor because of their faith. And again, if you remember, these are displaced people at the time. They may have had some sort of wealth in Jerusalem, but because of persecution, they're scattered abroad now. They're outcasts. They're displaced. A lot of them have no possessions. They are economically poor. And not only are they 
culturally not fitting in in these Gentile cities and places as, as Jewish people, but now they are poor and just like much today, if you are economically poor or impoverished, you may be looked down upon in the eyes of the world. And no, in no doubt they were in that time period. And so it would, have, it would have produced that poverty would have produced a lowliness in mind. I'm not important. I don't have value. I don't have worth because culture and society around me tells me I only have worth and I only have value if I have possessions and stuff. Sound about right? That's us today. It's not just them. Again, the, the, the letter of James, even though it was written 2,000 years ago to a people group halfway around the world, it is as relatable as it was then. Even though they were economically poor, they might have been downtrodden, no doubt they were continuing to be looked down upon in these places. James, in paradox, says such a person of low economic standing, if you're poor, should boast about his circumstance. Again, James throwing wrench in the gears and countercultural. Like, what are you saying? Well, in other translations, the NASB, for instance, puts it this way, verse 9. James speaking, he says, Now the brother or sister of humble circumstances is to glory in his high position. But notice that James uses the word brother or sister. It's significant. Again, despite their lowly earthly state that these people were in, he's making sure they're reminded that they're still a part of God's family and God's people and they're children of God. They were, James is being very purposeful and reminding them who they still are. Even though their bank accounts and their house and their clothing and their status in society would say, you are nothing. James is saying, no, no, no. You are everything because you are in Christ. Do not forget your identity. Paul in Romans 8, 17 says it a different way. He says, and if we are children of God, if that's who we are, if we believed in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, if we've been adopted into the family of God, if we are the children of God, then we're heirs, heirs of God, heir and fellow heirs with Christ. Despite the really hard circumstances these scattered outcast believers were in, James wants to remind them that they are still in fellowship with God and his people. Again, you have to understand, I mean, we can't fully grasp what it was for these, these Jews that were living in Jerusalem, that they had been saved by Jesus. They're messianic believers. This is their people. This was their land. This was the promised land. Now they're scattered. Like, so much of their cultural and ethnic and tradition and religious identity is stripped from them. But James wants them to know, despite your geographical location, despite your economic status, your social status, that you are still a part of the family of God. And that means more than any wealth could ever give you. That's what he's trying to get at. Again, this theme is throughout scripture because 
living in this world as a Christian, whether you have much or have little, can really contend for the affection of our heart. Really can mess with us depending on if we feel like we fit in with culture or we don't, depending on our resources. Peter continues this theme in 1 Peter 2.9. Speaking of God's people, Peter, in his letter, says, he reminds us of our identity. He says, you're a chosen race, a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. If you, if you read the New Testament, the New Testament writers... To, these earth, to this early church, to these new churches forming in all these cities across Asia and into Europe and Northern Africa, over and over and over. What's the message? What's a big theme? It's identity. Despite you encounter persecution, if you, if you have seasons of abundance or seasons of famine or you feel like you fit in or not, you, your, your identity and who you are in Christ cannot be taken from you. So the truth to get out of, what, of this is that even though many of us sitting in this room today or listening online may be financially or socially poor in this world, here James reminds the believer that low worldly status, even though that may be true, that we can still cheerfully boast in our rich position in standing with Christ. Again, if we, if we haven't even, if we are Christian and we haven't grasped that yet, then we still might be, well, I'm still poor though. I know I have Jesus, but. But what James is trying to do, what scripture over and over tries us to do is remind us what is of true value of what we should truly treasure, of what our hope should really be in, what our security and safety should, should be in is not the things around us. It's not the car we drive. It's not the jo cushy job. It's not the savings account. It's not the retirement account. Again, we're going to get into the, those things are still important and we should still have them and there's still purpose, but what should be truly important? That's what James is getting to. Commentator R. Kent Hughes said it this way. James did not pity his poor brethren or encourage their commiseration. Rather, he saw them as spiritually advantaged. Right? He knew, he knew the plight. This was his church. James was a leader of the church in Jerusalem. His own people, his own church congregants are scattered. He knows their plight. And instead of just going, I'm so sorry, it's hard. He saw their physical desperation actually was making them desperate for God because they had nothing else to rely on. And in turn, it made them seek God much the more. And so James says, don't look to your current earthly environment. Look to Christ and what you have in Christ. All right, that's kind of verses nine, verse 9's gist. But then in verse 10 and 11, James doesn't stop there. He kind of talks to the poor. Now he's kind of talking to the rich. He says, and those who are rich should boast that God has humbled them. 
They will fade away like a little flower in the field. The hot sun rises and the grass withers. The flower uh, droops and falls and its beauty fades away in the same way. He's using this uh, illustration here. The rich will fade away with all their achievements. Okay, so if we were going to think of the world around us, maybe culturally, uh, we tend to think of the rich as, you know, privileged or overprivileged, but Jesus taught that they're actually underprivileged spiritually. That being rich in this world and having many worldly possessions and status can actually be really dangerous and can actually negatively affect you spiritually. Even though in the world's eyes, right, if you're successful and you have all this stuff in this life, you're like, you're doing good, you're doing great. Jesus says, Hey, when that happens, just be careful. That's actually really dangerous when it comes to me and you. Again, looking at Jesus really quick. If you guys remember uh, in Mark chapter 10, there's a story of what we call the rich young ruler. Right in that story, the rich young ruler, he comes to Jesus and he asks what he must do to inherit eternal life. Again, if you want to take notes for later, Mark chapter 10, that's verse 17. He has this, has this dialogue with this, with this rich young ruler. The rich young ruler says, Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And they have this dialogue, and Jesus tells them in verse 22, he says, he tells the rich man to sell everything he has. Want to come follow me? Want to come know me? To this rich man, sell everything you have and become poor. And the response of the rich man in the, in the story, it says, he went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. And the spoiler of the story is he went away because he wasn't willing to give it all up to get Jesus. I have too much. That's too hard. I can't do what you're asking. I'm holding too tight to the things of this world. And I want you, Jesus, but I want the things of this world more. So it says he went away sorrowful. Because he said he couldn't navigate that with his own heart. He, could, he couldn't, I, I can't do that. And the interaction ends in Mark 10 by Jesus saying, again, this pronouncement uh, in Mark chapter 10, verses 24 through 25. Jesus says something pretty profound that connects to James here. And it says this. He's speaking to the crowds. He says, children, how difficult it is to enter the kingdom of God. And look what he says. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. And what he's saying is it's like, it's near impossible. Camel, eye of the needle. He says, if you're rich in this world, it's actually really, really difficult for you to navigate it. Again, it's a super heavy statement. Because again, what if we are in this room and we're rich? You're like, oh no, this is horrible. Okay, well, hold on. <laughs> again, this is a super heavy statement coming from Jesus. Because again, Jesus doesn't love poor people more than rich people. He loves all. Right? He's not trying to make favoritism. But he is trying to communicate a sober warning. Because, right, Jesus, what, is, what do we see in him normally or a lot of times? 
He's all love, he's grace, he's giving. But here, when he talks about money specifically, he straight up just throws truth and he says, the more stuff you have, the harder it is to know me. And a part of that is because when you have a lot, unless something really bad happens, like you lose it or there's a tragedy, you may be walking around and living life like, I don't need God. Why do I need God? I have everything I need. I'm not desperate for him. I can buy my way out of that. I have a status. I'm important. Everyone likes me. Like when you're good, you're good. And a lot of times you hear stories of that where like, why, why doesn't that person love Jesus? Why don't they go to church? Why, why don't they know the Lord? It's like they don't feel like they need him. And then you, someone gets saved and they had a lot of money. Tell me your testimony. A lot of times it's because there was a tragedy or they lost it all. They were in a moment of desperation where they didn't have that stuff anymore and they went, oh my gosh, life is empty. Right, that's what happens. Because again, the world's wealth can be blinding when you think that you don't need God. Your status and your fame and your success and your talents and your skills can really blind you to be like, I'm good. I don't, I don't need him. But again, do you see how relatable that is to now? Rich or not, this is true. And James is bringing this up to all these scattered believers because they're, they're looking at economic disparities and economic inequality. And they, just like us, are getting feeling certain ways because they have something or they don't have something. Happens right now. You go on Instagram. <laughs> you immediately will go, oh, you'll feel a certain way because you don't have a certain thing. It doesn't have to only be money. It could be relationship. It could be a good relationship. It could just be a good life. Instagram, by the way, is not real. <laughs> so if you're like, they have such a good life. You're like, trust me, they probably don't. Or there's a ton more problems. They just don't post. That's the whole point of Instagram. Like, who wants to see a real Instagram? People be like, I'm not following you anymore. I can't. <laughs> no, right? We just go like what looks good and feels good. And, but if we don't have that, all of a sudden we feel low. This is the whole point of what James is saying here, right? The entire New Testament actually as well. And what we see in people's lives suggests that riches are a potential danger to spiritual life. And very countercultural, Jesus actually views them as a spiritual liability rather than an asset. I know that's like counterintuitive, but he's like, hey, when you have a lot, like that's a liability for you. Even though that's, again, not finance 101. But even another example, just to kind of hit it home, the Apostle Paul instructs his young protege, Timothy. Again, Timothy's like a son in the faith. He's a young pastor. Paul's pouring into him in his letters. And in his first letter, 1 Timothy chapter 6, he tells Timothy this. Timothy, teach those who are rich in this world not to be proud and not to trust in their money, which is so unreliable. Their trust should be in God who richly gives us all we need for our enjoyment. If you were going to sum up James 9 through 11, if you didn't hear anything because I was using my hands too much and you're too hot in this cafeteria, just write down 1 Timothy 6, 17. That, that in itself 
paraphrases what James is getting to. Again, knowing this, what Paul, just because again, Paul is telling Timothy like the most important things, Timothy, this is what I want to communicate to you, this. So knowing this and knowing what James says, right? So, so knowing this and James speaks to those who boast in riches in this way, what James is doing is he's giving a sober warning of the pitfalls and the end result if we choose to trust in riches rather than trust in God. Okay, so what does this mean? Like kind of to wrap it up, what does this mean for us? Well, this doesn't mean that as Christians you can't be rich or successful or, or try to be successful or have nice stuff or have investments, retirement. It does not mean that. Do not walk away and say, Pastor Riz says I can't have any money ever and I'm going to, nothing. Like, that's not what I said. Jesus isn't asking us to have a spirit of poverty. Or that in and of itself, like the resources, the money, the stuff that he gives us is evil. But it's all about what value and security we place in it. It's all about the value we put on our stuff and our finances and our job and if we own a house or not or if we, ride, if we drive the car or not. What value are we putting on that stuff? Which brings us to what does that mean, okay? Doesn't mean that you can't have anything. There's a lot of wisdom in a lot of investments in retirement and savings and there's a lot of wisdom in all that. But what does this mean? Again, what James's sober warning should do to all of us, whether we're rich or poor, speaking to everybody, is that we should all do a serious heart check of what our relationship to money is. How do we view it? What does it mean to us? So some prompting questions to help. Again, it's up to you to do the heart check. I can't. I can do my own but you got to do your own right now. Is our success, our stuff, or our status what's giving us security? Or is it the Lord? Ask the hard question. What is making you happy right now or unhappy? If you feel like your life's going well, why? If you feel like it isn't going well, why? Is it connected to earthly things? Or is it connected to the Lord? Like those, are, those are good indicators. Because I think all of us will have different answers, different seasons. But are they connected to how much we have or how little we have? Or are we like sitting in and trusting in who we are in Christ and the riches of what that means for us? Right? Because all that we have... A Christian perspective, okay? If you're a Christian, you, you should have a different worldview. You should look at the world differently, right? We should have a Christian worldview. So everything that we have, every, every possession, we should view as a gift that each of us are meant to steward. So we actually don't, own, we actually, none of the stuff that we have 
is actually ours. Even if you feel like, no, no, I just worked and I got my paycheck. I earned that money. That's my money. You're like, but who gives you the breath in your lungs to do the job? God. Who gave you the interview to get the job? Who? God. Who gave you the means to get to work? God provided the car and the gas in the tank and the money you have and the family you grew up in. Like everything is a gift. And each of us are meant to steward it because it's all, it's all God's actually. We're just responsible for its care and how we use it. If you actually grab a hold of what I just said, it will change your life forever until you see Jesus face to face. It will. If everything you have, you're like, it's not mine anyway. God's given me it all. And so if you approach money and everything with like, God, how do you want me to use your money? That alone will change your decisions. That alone will change your priorities. If you really think like, whether I have a little, whether I have a lot, it's actually, I'm just supposed to steward this. I'm just responsible to kind of ask God how to use it but none of it's actually mine. And when you think that way, whether you have a litter or you have a lot, lot, like that's what you're supposed to have. It doesn't mean that you can't try to make more. Of course, like that's not, God's not saying be lazy. Don't try to be successful. Don't try to do your job well. Don't try. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, don't elevate money over me. Don't trust in money when you're supposed to trust in me. It's all about the value we put on it. Again, it's not actually ours anyway. It's all God's. It's not bad to have money and possessions, but the more you have, the more it will affect our hearts. The more we'll be tempted to turn to things rather than turn to God. And so to sum up, to land the plane, what James was getting at, what Jesus was getting at, It's just that we would check our hearts when it comes to our relationship with earthly things. And so as we enter into this time of worship, as I invite the worship team back up, the reason why we have the second set of worship is to respond to God. This message is a perfect, everyone's been spoken to, guaranteed. You can't, it doesn't matter what you've had. We, we, we probably have a messy relationship with earthly things, me included. So now would be the time to go, God, I want to be more like you. I want to have a more open-handed grasp on the things of the world. And I want to trust in you. God, please let, not let my happiness be how much money I have in the bank. Can't be. Like these are the kind of things I, I want to challenge us with in this second set of worship is to pray and ask God that we would become more like him and that we'd be, we trust in him more than stuff. Sound good? All right, let's pray. God, thank you for this very relatable reminder that we all have to deal with. And Lord, we do want to be, we want, we want to have your heart and your priorities when it comes to earthly things. Help us to not be 
you know, overly like, like martyr ourselves for poverty, but also that we wouldn't hope in riches. Help us to have a good balance. God, I pray that we wouldn't trip out about this message, but we would just go, wow, my, my heavenly father just really wants the things of the world not to get in the way of me and him. I just pray that we would see this as a, like a loving challenge. That we would surrender. Maybe we would repent of, we would turn from loving money more than we should. And God, I, I, I really pray for all of us in this room that our joy would not be found in an earthly circumstance. Whether we have a lot or a little, whether we're single or we're married, whether we have kids or not, whether whatever it may be, a good job or not, I pray that our joy and our hope would be found in you regardless of what is happening. So make us a people that are more in love and, and are more trusting and we rely upon you more than anything else in this world. We love you, Lord, and we pray uh, just that you'd bless this time of worship. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.